Hi everyone and welcome to the Paramount Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Great to have you all here and um, I am delighted to welcome another new guest to the show today and um, we're going to have a really interesting conversation I think about um, loss and grief and um, processing that, how we deal with that and how the last year has been. Uh, and I'm and I'm really excited to welcome uh, Jen Matthews to the show to talk about it with me. Thank you. Hi, James. Great to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's great to to have you on. Um, this has been a kind of long time coming. Um, yeah, um, it's been it's been a tough year. Obviously, we've gone through a kind of collective grief experience um, and a lot of loss, uh, a different kind of loss. Um, some people have lost loved ones, some people have lost jobs, some people have just lost their way of life and their routine. Um, we've, yeah, it's been, it's been a collective experience uh, for many of us. So, um, I wanted to start by you, um, we're going to talk about what's this year and the last 12 months in a minute, but I wanted to, um, start with you kind of sharing your story and, um, being and telling us a little bit about your experience of loss, because it's sure. a bit different from from a lot of stories that that I've heard. Hmm. Yes, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so, how I really launched into having conversations more and more about death and dying and grief and and joy and resilience and various aspects like that is. Um, Though I'd had other people in my life die, like my mother died when I was about 30, um, the most impactful for me was my life partner who had died. Her name is Kate. And um, that was actually almost 10 years ago now. And, you know, we, we had had a very beautiful life, very connected. Things were going quite well for us. And then she was unexpectedly diagnosed with advanced cancer. And in that process, you know, d- amidst the shock of all of that, um, we really had to come to some kind of deep acceptance and acknowledgement that that her death was imminent. We both had a real sense that it would not take very long time. The cancer was fairly advanced and she was not doing you know, traditional treatments um, and didn't think that those would really be beneficial for her. So the process of diagnosis to when she died was only 12 weeks. Wow. And... Um, yeah, and, and in that time, you know, we went through a range of emotions, but but fairly quickly we had to rally to be really centered, I guess it was, and to use the tools that we had to bring forth like the connection and the gratitude and the depth and all of the pieces um, that we knew would help us navigate and an acknowledgement that this was really her next step on a spirit level. So ultimately, I, I do believe... Um, that the spiritual aspects and because we had a similar perspective and similar practices in that way helped us go beyond looking at us as just the bodies really being like, okay, an acknowledgement very deeply that we're more than these bodies. And what does that mean? What does that mean when the body is ill? What does that mean when there's a terminal illness and we are going to change one of us in this situation of our partnership is going to change forms and how do we deal with that? Um, so that's just a, a kind of a tiny bit of background. Meanwhile, we both actually taught laughter yoga. 
And teaching laughter to people was an interesting thing because it meant a few things. One is that we didn't want to just jump over the the severity of the situation uh, by bypassing, as people might say, um, suppressing any emotions. We really wanted to dive in and embrace what was happening and be very present. And at the same time, the laughter practice that we had, which was one that really helped us reset ourselves, um, interrupt certain thought patterns we might have, let go of worries or resistance, all of that, was really significant for us because it allowed us to, um, to let go of kind of past or future thoughts in some ways. Um, it also added a layer where people might look at us and say, like, well, what are the laughter girls going to do now? You know, <laughs> like, what, mm-hmm. how are yeah. they going to handle death and grief in this intense situation? So, um, so that's just an aspect that I feel like is a significant one. Um, what I learned, I'm kind of going to jump ahead here and then maybe you can help guide us. What I learned in the experience after she had died was how much those practices that that were able to reset me, both my spiritual tools and practices, and also the laughter practice, also the the connection and love and perspective about the afterlife that we shared, how relevant those were to my own emotional well-being and my ability to adapt to her death. And as you mentioned, my experience may have been more unique than some in that I didn't I didn't go through a deep sadness or I wasn't devastated or or in a struggling place. Instead, my experience was one of really deep connection and gratitude and joy. And I do attribute that to many of the tools and practices that were already in place before this unexpected event happened in our lives. And I do feel like that connects actually to the pandemic and different things we'll speak of. Um, One thing I do want to bring up, especially in light of 2020, is you know there is an aspect, of course, of white privilege. I'm in a white body. um, And in terms of the resources and the various access to whether that was my own health and levels of stress and finances and Kate's how she navigated her dying process. I, I do want to make sure that I acknowledge that you know our life experiences, the bodies that we're in, the um, the color of our skin matters, especially in the United States. And I want to acknowledge that that made an impact on perhaps some of the ease I was able to have that I may not have had if I if I wasn't in a white body. So just to bring that up as well. Yeah, and that's important to acknowledge. I think that is that's a really important thing to acknowledge. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that. But um, and it's interesting because um, I myself lost I lost a parent mm-hmm. uh, in twenty in, in two thousand, so twenty one years ago, uh, and it wasn't expected. Although we knew that she had asthma, and we knew that it could happen at some point, but yeah, it was obviously not. We weren't expecting it to happen when it did, uh, so it was a bit of a shock. And I was quite young at the time; I was twenty-three. Mm. Uh, so, twenty years on, and having done a lot of work in therapy and embodiment coaching and life coaching and spiritual direction, and just some just doing internal work, you know, lots of journaling uh, and reflection. 
and talking about it, um, I've come to a place too where my experience of loss is more connection now. Mm. I feel like I have a connection with um, my mother, um, which is real and tangible, and communicate with her and um, sometimes sense their presence or you know have a have an interaction with her you know uh, like i said before it's not a regular thing but it happens once every so often you know and, and it's real and and, I, and that happened for me because i like i did a lot of the work that that you did before your loss um after my loss mm-hmm. um you know and it took time but i i now understand when i first heard about your work i didn't quite it was about a year ago i didn't quite understand what you meant by by kind of that connection element but now i definitely do understand that and have that experience that myself and it's a very real thing and i think that's what happens when you do the work of learning to engage with what's going on inside of you and have practices to help help you to support you and to process that stuff and you do the work um that you can come to that place of connection with the person that you've lost, um, I think that I think that that's definitely a legitimate a legitimate thing. Uh, and obviously, like you say, uh, I'm I'm a white man. I have access to to resources probably that other that, that um, people who are not white may not. Um, so there is a lot of privilege in my experience too. But um, that said, I would always say that if you're willing to do the work and if you if you can access the resources that you need and you can get the support you need um, and have those practices, then you can come to that place of connection. Um, even if you do experience go through grief, um, which I which I did, you know, and I, I my my experience was definitely one of grief. Um, mm-hmm. Grief is something for me. I mean, my perspective is that you carry this around with you wherever you go. This is you know grief. I still call it grief. It's just that grief has evolved for me, and it's not the same as it was when it first happened and when I first lost my mother. So, yeah, I mean, I, right. I also say I resonate with, with a lot of your experience. Yeah. I think you make an important distinction too, because I, I feel like there are the external factors, like where, where our own health is, the support we have around us, whether that's the, you know, access and that's where the white privilege conversation maybe comes in. But then there's the internal factors, as you're mentioning, you know, having really using the tools and seeking out, spiritual direction and other support and um, you know, doing your emotional work and all of that matters. And that was one of the things that I really learned because, you know, in, in my experience, when people expected me to be more in what, what people would term grief, and this is, as you just referred to, um, calling something grief. I mean, I, my experience is that we're told there's many ways to grieve and we use that language, but that really there's many ways to respond to death. And that's, again, just my perspective, that grief is only one of the ways to respond to death rather than calling it all a grieving process. That really, um, I felt like that really boxed me in. And um, there were times that I was skeptical of my, you know, I was confused about it a bit and suspicious, like, why am I not experiencing a, a deep sadness? This is the person I love more than anyone. Like, what's what's going on? And then I realized that, those tools and those perspectives and that relationship and the love allowed me to actually be in a solid place 
and not experience grief. And it's, I, and absolutely, I feel like, you know, I want people to have more and more permission to be in that space of grief and really allow that to viscerally release out of their bodies to go through their own process. And at the same time, for me, it's important that people also know it's, it's okay to be truly okay and well-adjusted when someone you love dies, as long as that's genuine for you, that you're not in denial, you're not repressing it, but you're really um, using the tools and resources you have internally. And the cool thing is that there have been studies that have really shown how accepting death as part of the life cycle, having a broader perspective, the tools we have for well-being already in our toolkit, those kinds of things totally matter. And that's what helped me put the pieces together. Like, okay, this isn't just some strange thing that happened for me, but if other people have tools and perspectives and and work on their own self-care and well-being on emotional and spiritual levels before they experience someone's death, they too may have a different kind of response to it. Not not everyone, and not that's not even necessary, but just to allow allow for the process and the freedom and um, so that we can each have you know, our own experience without judging ourselves or judging other people for what that looks like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that. Uh, and, and of course, grief is something that we're all, I think we're all having a kind of loss grief experience, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, with, with 2020 and, you know, the pandemic and lockdown and, uh, and George Floyd and uh, and you know there's so many all, all our lives have changed completely mm-hmm. uh, and so there's a there's a loss of a life that we had before there's a loss of you know people have people have lost people we've lost loved ones they've lost jobs like I said you know there's there's a lot of loss going on a lot of grief. Um, you know, I remember when Chadwick Boseman died. Uh, I, I felt that the the weight of that of that as a highly sensitive person in my body, that the collective grief that mm. almost everyone felt when that happened. It was almost like that was that was almost people's permission to let out the grief that they were already carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, so it's been a lot this year. I mean, how is how has kind of your experience of loss um, with your partner and the lessons that you learned from that kind of played out in the last in the last twelve months? Mm, that's a great question. Well, I I'd say a few things about that. One is the level of uh, the importance of awareness is what's coming to mind. So when you talk about the grief and the loss, it's um, one of the things I learned after Kate had died, I had some experiences about paying attention to my thoughts and how my thoughts were really connected to my emotions. And it's like, I've, I know that we talk about that, you know, it's something that comes up, how our thoughts impact our emo- emotions, but the significance of the choice point of, oh, wow, okay, I'm feeling a little bit sad. And I can let that move and allow that to really emote, you know, out of my body. I can cry um, and let it release. And then there's a point where I had noticed after Kate died that my thoughts were really making an impact. So if I thought about, if I was really focused on her absence and how she wasn't around, 
how um, the things we wouldn't get to do in the future together, um, past, if the past, thinking about it from the past made me really miss her or long for her in a certain way, that fed the emotions or the, the, the challenging emotions. And then I would play this kind of game with myself inside of not following those thoughts. I wouldn't even have to think, quote unquote, happier thoughts, but I just wouldn't follow those thoughts. And I would just really come into the present moment. And it made a huge impact. So that's something that definitely has carried forward in every aspect of my life. And, and especially, I think, in 2020, of, of having an awareness of where my thoughts are and if they are thoughts that are going to contribute to hardship and challenging emotions, or if they're thoughts that are going to bring me more into the present, more centered, um, help me access my own inner peace, my own inner joy. And it's all about that choice point. And I don't feel like there's a right or wrong at that choice point, because as long as I'm aware that at that moment, you know, sec- moment by moment as we live, at that moment, I could, I could follow that. I could choose to have a release. I could choose to allow the sadness or anger or frustration to um, be there and be present. Or in that moment, I can think, oh, okay, what happens if I don't follow the thoughts I'm thinking right now and just be? And in that just being, I feel like the worries, because 2020 to me was a lot about future anxiety or future worries rather than past. Um, those worries would go away if I could really be here, you know, really be here and be present and um, not future trip about like what's going to happen next. There are all these unknowns and uncertainties. We don't know what tomorrow looks like or next week or next month looks like. We still don't. We're still in it. So that would be one of the things is it's kind of this concept of um, allowing yourself to feel the feelings, but not feed the feelings. And uh, it was very valuable lesson I learned after Kate had died. Um, and it also has to do with where, where I'm focused. Like, am I focused on the absence, the, the things I can't do because we're in this pandemic, the, um, all the things that I'm either missing or the hardships, or can I be focused on the gratitudes and what's present in my life currently and what resources I am fortunate enough to have um, both externally and, you know, spiritually, emotionally. And that's something that I really learned from, um, from when Kate had died well, and uh, as well, and just, you know, who she was really supported me in that too, because Kate was someone who brought forth joy. Like most people, friends, family that I ask, they would say the biggest gift or lesson they learned from her was her joy. And, you know, when someone dies, sometimes we put them on a pedestal, but I feel like in this case, it was her joy was really distinct. And touching into that and remembering we can have joy amidst suffering, that we, we can't consider joy to be a luxury um, where, you know, when things are difficult, we better, we better not feel happy because that's somehow dishonoring the challenge of the pandemic or this, that's dishonoring someone who had died if we can get in touch with our inner joy. To me, it's it often shows that we value life. We value being alive. We can find how it is we're going to live out this moment and this day um, in these bodies on this earth, you know. And that's another really big lesson to not think that joy is dismissive 
of the struggles or tragedies going on around us. And that's been challenging this year for me, actually, as well, um, because of the pandemic, because of the racial unrest and the significance of that in the U.S. Um, I've definitely had to wrestle with that as well. <laughs> so, Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good approach, obviously. You know, the being fully present in the moment, being grateful for what we have right now. Um, trying to find joy in the moment is all so important. I mean, that's what joy is to me. Joy is joy is not happiness. Happiness is the word happiness. Apparently, comes from is linked to the word happenstance, which is about circumstances. So, happiness is to do with our circumstances. Joy is not tied to our circumstances. It's you can have joy, and this is something I learned through through grief as well, is that you can have joy even in the midst of sadness, even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of things being really difficult and really painful. You can still find joy. Um, that was one of the things that that I that I learned and I experienced as well. You know that I was able to 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 find joy even in the, the loss of my mother. That there was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able at, at some at some point to find a joy in the midst of that and a gratitude for, like you say, like you talk about, a gratitude for her life and what she gave me and what she, what she gave others. And um, without sugarcoating anything, you know, without sugarcoating her life and making putting her on that pedestal that you talk about, um, but I was still able to have that have that gratitude. And I guess you're right. That's a good way to approach things now because it's such a heavy weight. Um, that many people are carrying and you can feel it everyone is processing so much stuff you know there's people now you know obviously we had a change of president um fortunately uh and um but there's people who are now because that was a that was a traumatic triggering experience for them yes um, having someone who is essentially like a an abuser a narcissist in office him leaving is then there is the come down from that there is the there is the kind of um the moving on from it and being released from that which is a process which has a weight to it uh, and so many people are in that in that process and of course we're still we're still in the midst of the pandemic so mm-hmm. yeah it's you know i mean i know i found it difficult to just remain present because there's so much i want to do so much uh so many dreams i have so many things that i'd rather be doing <laughs> <laughs> right um and um yeah. to pass the time and you know just being in my house or being in my room um most of the, a lot of the time is um can become can become you know tedious at times it becomes it wears you down um but you're right you're absolutely right about being fully present and um, and it's not easy, you know. It's it's very simple, isn't it? So simple, but it's. I wouldn't yeah. even say that it's necessarily easy. I mean, it's it's an interesting piece because, like you said, about being about happiness and joy, the difference. I absolutely agree. Happiness is more um, an emotion, like being happy. More, of, I think of it as more of an emotional feeling, which is fleeting. But joy to me is a real state of being, and. Yeah. Being able, I mean, I like to go back to what you addressed earlier about the connection with your mother. Absolutely. I mean, like to me, that place of connection, and that can be to 
ourselves, to the spirit of who we are, to other people, to nature, to someone who had died, whatever that connection experience is, I really have um, experienced that it's the it's it's been like an antidote for loss to me. That if I'm feeling the the loss or the in all the ways you mentioned the loss that isn't just about a person, but um, the things we've been experiencing in the pandemic, if I can find a way to connect. I can't hold connection and loss at the same moment. And it might be just, I might only feel the connection for a couple seconds or a few minutes or however long it lasts. But in those moments, the loss goes away because loss is really past or present based. Um, so it sounds, you know, in some ways it sounds kind of cliche, but but like you have had the experience of it. And I really wish that for people to find ways to be connected and find ways to access that inner peace and joy, which to me isn't a cop-out, but it's saying, wow, I'm in this situation and these circumstances that are extremely difficult. You know, like you said, whether that's job loss or not being able to do certain things or to see family, all of those pieces. And while that's happening, for my own health, my own emotional, spiritual health and well-being, how can I access the calm, the peace, the centeredness, inside of me in order to know like that's what's real at the same time as all of these external, you know, regardless of the external circumstances. And and I think death really teaches us that. It teaches us that like how do we find our center despite external circumstances? Exactly. Yeah, that's it. It's yeah, that's a that's a massive question, isn't it? That's yeah. A and, yeah, and the temporary nature of things, I guess that's the other piece for me is when we look at the, whether it's the the pandemic and our financial security and the climate crisis that we're in, all of those are indicators of the temporary nature of the physical world. And that's a lot to grapple with as humans, you know, <laughs> that's a big deal that everything physical is temporary. So to me, that's the other connection, I guess, between death and what 2020 has looked like, you know, that even our democracy, we could see like, however we look at whether the democracy has ever been um, true democracy in the US or whether, you know, whatever people feel about that, how fragile even that was, and how the temporary nature of when we see the the threats of fascist um, ideals coming through. Wow, like, things are temporary that we create in this world. And so what what isn't temporary? What is the, um, what is that spark or that that place inside of us that that not only animates us but that is beyond our physical world? And how do we manage being both bodies and being in a physical temporary world where things are changing and unknown, and also that still point that doesn't change? And to me, that was a big focus this year. Mm. yeah that's right that's and that really does take practices and having practices which yeah which can center you in that place and keep you in that place and you know i think i think i think if you i think people have probably struggled to i mean i know i have to maintain a lot of their practices this year mm-hmm. um because of because of the nature of being at home a lot of the time, you know, almost all the time, uh, and 
not being able to do certain things and just just being worn down um yeah. and sometimes not having the energy to keep doing those things uh you know i've managed to start some new practices um in the last three or four months which have started to help me you know journaling being one of them mm. uh, and but it's really really important you know we need to try and find those little things that we can do which which can center us and uh, and have have spaces where we feel safe as well and yeah you know community is really really important if you're living on your own having online community right now is so so important it really um, is and you know one of the beautiful things I do feel like has um, has been happening is the level of hopefully of compassion that has been surfacing in this pandemic. I, I feel like as much as we've been separated, you know that disconnect experience. We have. I I've been feeling this, and I've been watching this. We've been experiencing the interconnectedness. I mean, a pandemic itself shows us our interconnectedness, right? Because this is something we're all experiencing all over the world. It's not isolated. Um, but mm. to have that interconnectedness and to have compassion for others and to see how, you know, my friends who are in England or uh, in Central America or in Switzerland, you know, they're going through similar experiences in various ways and similar struggles. Um, so how will that help advance us as people? Because we can see how, you know, all of our, um, they say like our liberation is connected with one another or even with the presidency, like you said, the president in the United States and how that impacts the entire world in various levels. So, so I do think it's, yeah, it, it, we can tap into that and create something different from here forward is really my hope. And that's been a big discussion, as you know, this year, the whole like back to normal, what is the new normal, all of that. Yeah, yeah. I really hope we can use that that empathy for one another and the opening kind of the wake up call to support one another in new ways and to support ourselves in new ways to really realize like the again that the the spirit of who we are is innately connected to our physical beingness and we see that when we're isolated in our bodies in our house and we're isolated you know we don't have that like you said the importance of online connection and and we see how that affects our spirits and affects our emotions so what do we do about that and can we make new choices like you had said you're you've you've had new practices you're journaling you're doing different things now it's a time that calls for that um and i don't have it figured out that's for sure you know <laughs> But it, I'm certainly um, looking at it more closely than I ever have. Yeah, that's right. And it is a, it is a time for that, right? It's a time when this is over, in a way, we'll have to grieve um, or deal with the loss of this as well, this season. You know, it's because we've been in a pandemic for so long, mm-hmm. we've been lockdown and wearing masks and all that all those things have become normalized that when it's over even though we probably want it to be over will still be a feeling of discomfort you know i've 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 already kind of acknowledged to myself that you know the next time i go out 
to a to a pub or a restaurant with friends, it's going to feel weird. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel weird because I haven't done it for over a year by the time I do it again. And because of the kind of, you know, that we've been conditioned, like, because it's not safe and mm-hmm. because of the pandemic and for completely legitimate reasons, because it isn't, isn't safe, you know, at the moment. And we need to be social distancing and staying at home and wearing masks, etc. But when it's, when, when the vaccine takes full effect and when the pandemic has died down and, and you know, and, uh, and we're able to go out and into the world and, and live our, and live our lives again, as we were, um, yeah, there will be a discomfort at first, and we have to we have to be ready for that discomfort. We have to be, and that's almost that's almost like a, a grieving of, okay, that that other season is over, you know, uh, and we have to go 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 to this now and whatever this looks like, and it will be different to what was before. It'll be different to what we what was before the pandemic, but it won't be the same as during the pandemic. So uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how that happens. And for me, as an introvert who kind of likes staying at home on, on his own quite a bit sometimes, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's going to be even more uncomfortable because it's like, well, you know, actually I kind of like this. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, of course I want to go out, I want to go and travel, I want to go and meet people and all those things. But, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's going to be a yeah. really interesting, interesting time when that finally happens. It will be. And I, I, I feel like that's really important to acknowledge. I mean, just all the layers of discomfort that it might bring up. And at the same time, being aware of what our responses are and, and how do we do things differently? Or how, how do we even look at life as the preciousness? I mean, hopefully this pandemic has reminded us of how precious life is and how precious our health is. And to me, it's like on on the one hand, we need to acknowledge the losses and the the the, the unknowns and how unpredictable life is because that's been one of that's a huge lesson of death and of the pandemic, right? Of just how unpredictable our day to day can be or our futures can be when we don't expect certain things to happen. Um, but in that in that lack of you know, we don't can't have the certainty about what's going to happen tomorrow or the future or what it's going to be like to see people in groups again, when we're going to actually feel safe and comfortable again. Given that, how can we actually use our use the well-being that we've cultivated? And how do we do that now? If we haven't done it yet, how do we start today with finding ways to connect and deepen and be, for me, I would say the word anxious because that's one of the things that i I experience more than other um, uncomfortable emotions. Like, how do I find that calm, be less anxious? And let me practice that now before I go out back, you know, before we go back out into that big world, you know, like, what are the ways I can really look at my own self-care and resilience or meditation tools? Um, So I guess I just invite that of myself and of you and of others to, while we can expect certain responses or we can, we've been conditioned in certain ways, how can we remember that it's conditioning? And how can we distinguish between what is um, a real concern or a real, um, you know, our own survival, like what's a real threat to our our health or our systems and what's been conditioned? And that's the same with death, I guess, for me, is how are we conditioned to 
act certain ways, respond certain ways? What are the expectations we put on ourselves or culture, our culture puts on us versus what getting really in touch with ourselves in the moment Um, and working through, like you had mentioned, the, the traumatic experience of this past of 2020. How can we use these times to realize, oh, wow, if I'm having, if I'm, if I'm feeling stirred up, that that's a place that could still use healing. And how can I use this as an opportunity to heal that and reach out for the support I need or go inward for the support I need to, to heal those places in myself um, and create the next steps, you know, on my soul's evolution here. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Do that, do that work of figuring out, okay, what does, what does it look like for me to do this work? What what does it look like for me to, you know, prepare myself? And what does it look like to be present now um, with an awareness of, of what may happen as well? Um, and any response is okay. Um, and we need to be gentle with ourselves and with each other too, right? Like we just need to, I hope that that awareness has, I feel like it really has happened as part of the the compassion um, that more and more of us are experiencing for each other. That we, we need to be gentle with each other. There, there's a tenderness and there will be as we start, um, you know, going back out into the world. And I do want to acknowledge that there's obviously plenty of people who are out in the world, unlike maybe you and I who have been at home mostly, um, who have had to deal with, sheesh, like what it's like to be out there, um, you know, as essential workers or doing their jobs in the community, um, that they're already dealing with that. But can we be tender and really see one another in a new way? I guess that's what I'm saying. Like really, really see one another in the preciousness of life and really be able to look into each other's eyes and um, acknowledge that we that we're we're all the same in a certain level, you know. Not to disregard the the different experiences being in different bodies, and um, again, the racial um, being in white bodies versus you know black or brown bodies. But that underneath that, like, how can we find our way through in a human community? You know, as a human race, how do we do that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Very profound, very, very hopeful. Um, one thing I, the keys that's come to mind that whole 12 months, but I've never really lived this out. Uh, I'm trying to live this out now, I'm trying to figure out how I can do this now. Is that maybe we can see this time as a doing work on ourselves uh, and doing internal work, um, like a cocoon. For us, so that we can come out um, in a healthier place, in a place of greater connection to ourselves um, and to each other, and um, because I believe I, I strongly believe that when we process loss and grief really well, we come to transformation and connection, mm-hmm. uh, and this is an opportunity for us to do that. Uh, as not just as individuals, but as society, as culture, and you know, I hope that I hope that when this is over, that that we can begin to do that. And as you mentioned earlier, yes, the that place of 
how the grief of the pandemic, the, the, the losses it's brought up in the grief may have for many people brought up old unprocessed grief yeah. or sadness. And so as painful as that may be to just remember that when we're experiencing the pain of that, my perspective is that that means that the pain is finally coming out, that it's moving, that there's some kind of um, of release in motion. It's not then stuffed in. So if we're experiencing levels of sadness or anger or frustration that we maybe never have before, or haven't felt in a long time, to acknowledge that is like, oh, it's actually coming to the surface so that it can move out of my body now. And that's healing, you know, that that's healing. So rather than getting stuck in when the emotion comes up and feeling so much pain or discomfort, like, oh no, this is awful. I, I hate this feeling to just acknowledge that, okay, this means it's, it's not being shoved away. It's coming out and that this too shall pass. As they say, you know, this is temporary. Once we let it move, we can go on to whatever our next step is. And, um, and I feel like we're at that on a collective level. Like, let's continue to let all these wounds and all the pain from these wounds come to the surface so that we can then take our next steps and and do things that are beneficial for the whole, you know, our whole human family. And we can actually create the systems and um, the values that will get us through to a, a, a stepping up you know, to moving beyond this, but in a way that doesn't say, oh, let's just forget all about 2020. Let's forget about the pandemic. Let's forget about the whole U.S. presidential madness. You know, <laughs> like, no, we have to remember that, but we have to use it to build and remind ourselves what we do want to create. And I feel like that's true again with, with when we lose someone that we love. It's like, how can we use what we've learned through the experience to bring a, a to honor the pain and honor the um, challenges of it by making it into something fresh and new and um, life affirming and loving. So I I feel like it very much mimics you know that that we've been we've been experiencing a huge death on many levels this year even though it might not be uh, I mean it is for many people the death of those they love for sure. And in addition to that, the death of many things. So how do we move forward from that in a way that um, can bring ourselves fully in without, without getting stuck in the challenges or without getting stuck in the mud? Mm, so, yeah. and again, it's like, it's okay to be, it's okay to be stuck, you know, and it's okay to take your time and it's okay to, you know, be there. But then what's, what really would would make your life more um, meaningful, more peaceful, more connected, more joyful. Uh, what matters the most, right? I mean, that's that's it ultimately, I suppose, of what 2020 has brought for many of us is, wow, what really matters to me? And how do I bridge the gap between where I am now and what really matters to me? And I hope we do that as a culture, and I hope we do that individually, you know, as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, thank you. This has been so great. This has been such a great conversation. Um, yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for the opportunity.
Um, where can people connect with you and, and find you online? Oh, sure. Thanks for that. People could find me online at my website. It's Jennifer Matthews, and that's Matthews with one T dot com. So Jennifer dot com. And yeah, while, while I'm focusing on you know more life affirming perspectives around death and grief, I'll be focusing more and more on spiritual self care and how we can really reset our energy, be more centered, connected, clear headed. Um, not just around issues of of death and dying, but around where we live our lives. How can we be more spiritually active in our daily lives? Um, and because I really believe strongly that that spiritual well being is extremely impactful on how we can deal with um, all of these challenges in our lives. So, so that's what I'm I'm up to these days. Fantastic! Thank you for sharing. Um, I hope people. I would highly recommend going connect with Jennifer's work. Um, it's really fantastic. So uh, I think there's a TED talk as well uh, on YouTube if you if you want to look for it. So um, yeah, um, thanks thanks for coming on, Jen, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.